hello everyone. It's three months into the new year. Ireland are two games into their World Cup qualifying campaign. We might have a new number one, but we have zero points. This is Joseph McCarthy from Irish Abroad, I'm joined by Mark Kennedy from Hawkeye Psychic and Philip Flanagan from the bottomless pit of football. And this is the Irish Football Fans Podcast. Not All too good, Joe. Hi, Mark. Beautiful. All right. Uh, I have a feeling this isn't going to be the most pleasant recording we've ever done. So let's just rip the bandaid off and get started with the Serbia game. Now, when the starting 11 was announced, I thought it actually looked good. Based on the squad that Stephen Kenny had announced, it was probably what I thought the strongest selection that he could have picked. And from the start of the game, the team seemed to be playing a slightly better brand of football than they had been attempting in the, the last few games at the end of last year. Uh, and we got a, we worked, a well-worked opening goal, seemed to be in control until Serbia scored. Now, like Mike Tyson said, everyone's got a plan to get punched in the face. The, the team didn't seem to know how to react to that. And when even when halftime came, <coughs> Serbia, were, I thought, were very much in the ascendancy. Mark, what did you think of the, the team that he picked uh, in Belgrade? And how did they play for that first 45 minutes? You have to kind of maybe say, first off, Kenny had major decisions to make. One was the goalkeeper. And he basically plumbed for Mark Travers pretty much immediately after he found Creeping Kelleher and obviously Darren Randolph was sidelined. So he committed pretty early to Travers. And then I think the probably the key decision was whether to play Shane Duffy or not. And he decided that and his loyal lieutenant uh, would not play. So he brought Karen Clark into the team as a whole. I mean, he looked to accommodate the two kind of wingbacks. Matt Doherty and Enda Stevens, um, given their club roles and stuff. So you could see the logic on that. I was happy to see Josh Cullen playing in the middle of the park and Jason Malumby, big fan of his. But I think you could see from Serbia's mindset, you know, classic Europe, Eastern European side, try to really kind of see what Ireland were going to throw at us, particularly in that first 20, 25 minutes. And unfortunately, I think, did we have any plan for Dusan Tadic? For me, um, it didn't seem, even after 30 minutes, you could see Serbia were identifying space in in between Josh Cullen and our back three, essentially. Again, goal was very well worked, wasn't it, guys? I mean, mm-hmm. great link-up play between Callum Robinson and also um, Brown. But it was just unfortunate with the equaliser as well. Just, you know, that moment of hesitation. You could call it a soft goal from our perspective. Clark misses the header. Darache kind of switches off to fraction. And then let's Vlajevic in for the equaliser. But all in all, I mean, some great passing. Um, again, going with Stephen Kenny ethos. So, I mean, at least we scored a goal, didn't we, in that half? So, it was plenty to be positive about. That was uh, the monkey that had been on our back since the very first game in charge against Bulgaria. You said that we didn't have a plan for Dusan Tadic. I don't think you can plan for a player of his quality. You could just do the best that you can. The other side of it is that Stephen Kenny has had a little over four months to prepare for this game. Or someone with his reputation for attention to detail, you think that he would be aware that Serbia were going to plan uh, most of their attacking play through their most talented playmaker. Now, we were surprised that their top goal scorer, Fulham's Alexander Mitrovic, didn't start the game, but he did come on and he played the 
I, I don't know if you can call a, a substitute that comes on with half an hour to go an impact substitute, but he certainly made an impact. He scored twice to put Serbia 3-1 up. Phil, when we saw the starting lineup, like Mark said, the, the first thing most people noticed was that Shane Duffy was not in the, the starting eleven. Uh, instead, we were playing this back three of Seamus Coleman, who isn't really a centre-half, Daryl O'Shea and Kieran Clark on the left. But none of them are as, maybe have the same level of physicality as Mitrovic. Do you think that Shane Duffy might have handled him a bit better than the three players that started? It's hard to say. He's been in such a bad run of form and Mitrovic was clearly on a hot streak that when those two types of players meet, only one usually comes out on top. So I don't know if Duffy starting would have done much. Would he have done much to stop Mitrovic? I'm not sure. Like, I thought the defence as a whole did okay. Our problem is is that we're kind of, we're, we're just, we're too brittle when we concede. The first goal on on the first view, and I thought O'Shea was very flat-footed, but like, he's kind of in line. He's in line with his man, and it's it's just like, we didn't win the first ball. It's a, it's your classic knockdown run on, and it was a good finish. So you let them away with that. But when we get some sort of sucker punch, like we don't really have enough, I say, character in our midfield and our forward line to react or to come back in the face of adversity. Like that second goal killed us. We have Coleman, and we saw Coleman throughout that game absolutely burst up the middle of the pitch looking for runs. He did it against Luxembourg as well. But we don't really have anyone from five up that's vocal, that will G the players up, a kind of a senior figure that we could look to, that we used to have, say like even a John Walters type, someone who'll go and get aggressive with the opposition team when we're up against it, even James McLean, even though usually it's rashly or stupidly, but we kind of, we've missed that and we missed it against Serbia. Like if you take the result on its own after the Serbia game, I was fairly happy. We started really well, like, you know, we scored a brilliant goal, Brown, like lovely little outside of the football, out wide, back into the box, Robinson on his left foot. It's a well-worked goal that we don't usually score. So that, the fact that we did kind of come back in the end and have a little go, there was enough there at the end of the game that I was reasonably happy. Like, we, did, I didn't expect us to get a result, to be honest with you. But um, it's the brittleness that is killing us, I think. And I don't know, just to go back to your original point, would Duffy have stopped Mitrovic and that kind of... The, the, the downward spiral we took after that second goal. I'm not sure. Yeah, I, I made the point on Twitter that you know the starting eleven had only 182 uh, caps in total between them, and you know that was the lowest cap total for a starting eleven uh, since a, a friendly against New Zealand back in November 2019. But it was the lowest in a competitive international since a Euro 84 qualifier against. Iceland that took place in October uh, 1982 and we're going to discuss the the Luxembourg game uh, later on but it was a similar total in that game it was 188 you mentioned players like John Walters and James McLean they have their detractors but what they bring to the side or what players like them bring to the side is international experience and look there's a step up from youth football to under-21 football. There's a step up from under-21 football to senior club football. And there's a step up from senior club football to international football. And when you think that the Serb, the Serbian starting eleven, and even the mm-hmm. players that they were able to bring off the bench did have that experience on us, 
that could be one of the reasons why we didn't get a better result from it. Now, you know, Shane Long came off the bench with 20 minutes to go and James Collins came on with 10 minutes to go. Like, Collins doesn't have a lot of international experience, but he does have an international goal. Shane Long is closing in on 100 caps for his country and we're all very much aware of his recent goal scoring record. But like I said, he does have a lot of international experience and it was his work rate in the last few minutes that, you know, caused or disrupted the Serbian back line and, you know, made the, the chance for Collins to score. And I, you know, 3-1 is a bad result and 3-2 is a better result. But, you know, a late goal always puts the shine maybe on a on a bad performance. I mean, if you think back in the first qualifier at home for the European Championships in Poland in 2012, we got beaten 3-2 by Russia, but we scored late on to make it 3-2. And, you know, it did have a bit of an afterglow effect. And people mightn't have been as disappointed as if it had finished 3-0 or 3-1. And the reaction to the performance was that it was probably the best that the team had played for Kenny since the Slovakia game. Mark, what was your opinion after the game? I mean, was it positive? Were you looking forward to the Luxembourg game? Or did you think that, you know, the like I said, that late goal was a little more than a consolation? Yeah, I think the late goal definitely put a gloss on things, Joe. I agree with you. If it went 3-1, then I think... Critics may have been out a little bit more in force. But uh, just given the late James Collins' goal, and we, we were pushing right at the end for an unlikely equaliser, but at least you could see the team were kind of, the work rate was never in question here. So from my perspective, performance-wise, I was pleasantly surprised. I was thinking with Serbia, new coach coming in, that they'd hit the ground absolutely running, and it wasn't until Mitrovic came on that Linko played with himself and Tadic. They have such a good understanding between each other. Uh, that really did provide it. But it was just the fight of the subs that came on as well. You know, a few guys had a point to prove, like Jeff Hendrick, Robbie Brady, McLean as well. Everyone put in a massive shift, and I thought, like, Collins and Long, particularly up front. The one thing I would think about Aaron Collins, I felt so sorry for him at times, was he was completely isolated up front. He's not that out-and-out front striker that you're looking to basically hold the ball up. He was running forlorn lines, and let's face it, that's, he was unlucky not to get a penalty. So overall, I was pleasantly surprised, but was kind of really kind of hoping that maybe the Luxembourg game was going to be another step in the right progression, really, to be honest. Yeah, and uh, I don't know if any of our listeners have seen the video footage of that penalty inc- incident from behind the goals, but it's uh, it's actually a clear penalty. Uh, on first look uh, on telly, and during the broadcast, I did think it was a penalty. And then they showed the camera angle from maybe the referee's point of view. And it's still, you know, it's still hard to make a decision. But the footage from behind the goal is fairly conclusive. It was a, a, a definite penalty. And Serbia can thank themselves lucky that VAR isn't being used in the qualifiers because otherwise the Republic of Ireland would have had a chance to had a chance to score from from the penalty spot and. You know, they can probably thank themselves lucky again, given that Cristiano Ronaldo had a clear goal not given in Serbia's following game against Portugal. Just for myself, after the Serbia game, I did feel that the the team had done well. I thought that Travers didn't cover himself in glory, so he might not appear again 
against Luxembourg. But I did, you know, I didn't think this, the team needed major surgery. So when the lineup was announced against Luxembourg, I very much approved of it. Gavin Bazunu, you know, the 19-year-old Manchester City player out on loan at Rochdale, formerly of Shamrock Rovers. It's unfortunate that he's he wasn't able to make his debut in front of a home crowd, and even if it was in uh, a home stadium. The team had a similar level of experience to the team that lined out against Serbia. We started with a 100, 188 caps on the pitch. The same back three, Seamus Coleman, Daryl Shea and Kieran Clark. Uh, Aaron Connolly had to miss out, but it meant that James Collins would start after scoring late on in the, in the previous game. And, you know, in midfield, I was happy to see Jason Knight start. Phil, what did you think of the starting eleven? Do you think that Kenny had learned from, you know, the mistakes that had been made against Serbia and uh, this was a much more positive side? I think his hand was forced in a couple of the, the changes. We talk about the Serbia game and how the our second goal put the gloss on the result of it. And you can look at it like that, but you can also look at it like we gifted them two goals. We absolutely gifted them their second and third goals. Travers was right in what he did to come off his line because obviously when you're playing a high line, the ball comes over the top. The keeper needs to be in that space where he can come out quickly if there is a situation where the striker breaks the offside line. But at the same time, he got caught ball watching because once he sees the pass go out wide, he has to backtrack and he has to know just to take two or three steps back. So like... It's a bad mistake, and I, I don't think Kenny had a choice but to put Bazunu in, because who knows what Travers' confidence was like after that game. So I think that's that was forced, and I also think Molumbi was forced, because Molumbi absolutely gassed during the Serbia game. He couldn't run, and it was actually highlighted in commentary, like, he's not playing a lot, but he's a young lad, and he should be flying fit at this stage of the season. And he didn't look it after 60 minutes against Serbia. So I think they were forced, but they were welcome. And I think, obviously, Collins, he would have been hard done by not getting a starting berth after coming on and doing well against Serbia for the little cameo we had getting his goal. So I think they were all the right changes, but I think two of them were forced. So, like, I was happy enough with the lineup. Like, I was reasonably happy going into the Luxembourg game from what I had seen in Serbia because the attitude was there, as Mark highlighted, the workmanship, the work rate, it was there, the togetherness. They came back in the end. They got that goal. They started well. There was moments where we did play some reasonably good football. And you're just thinking, OK, if you can look at the positives from the Serbia game, you're going into a home game against a lower-ranked team and you've just scored two goals. So no one's talking about the goals anymore. It's a, it's a, it's a great opportunity to put points on the board and just get a good, solid win, even if it's not that exciting. And I just I have no idea what went wrong, like everything went wrong. It was like all 10 players, nine players, Bar Coleman and Bazuna. It was like, it's nearly unexplainable. They just didn't really look like they knew what they were doing or meant to do. I, I don't know what she thought about it. Well, just looking at the starting 11, against Serbia, Kenny changed from his 4-3-3 to uh, 3-5-2 formation with, I think, Alan Brown pushing forward to support the strikers from midfield. And then against Luxembourg, again, it was a three, I want to say a three, four, one, two. Uh, so again, with Brown 
pushing forward to support the the front two of Robinson and Collins. So I'm not sure if it was a a three five two, a three four three, or a three four one two. And like if I can't tell that from watching the game, the, you know, did the players know how to organize themselves in whatever the correct formation was? And if you look at the way Luxembourg were set up, they were playing uh, four five one. So straight away we're outnumbered in midfield. They were happy for us to play in front of them because they had the numbers. And I did think coming to the end of the first half, this is going to end nil-nil. That we weren't going to concede because Luxembourg did look like scoring, but we didn't. they didn't look like conceding and we didn't look like creating anything. Mark, I, I guess uh, same question. What did you think of the, the lineup against Luxembourg? And did you think that Stephen Kenny had learned from the Serbia game? And did you think that he would be able to take whatever he learned from his 10 games in charge at international level and apply them to a win in this game against a team that had traditionally been a minnow but has improved in recent years? It's a true point. Just even going with Luxembourg, you know, did, did everyone kind of underestimate him? I did see a few articles, but... I think for most people, we were expecting to have a bit of a win. I even predicted maybe 3-0 in my Facebook page before the kickoff. And as the game wore on, I think that prediction became more and more wary. Going back to your question, that to a certain extent, like, you know, first 10 games in charge, I mean, that's fair enough. But he's had so much turmoil in terms of squad, having to, you know, really kind of rotate players, not really kind of get the chance to really galvanize partnerships, essentially, here. Because, I mean, looking at the centre of the park here, on paper, Jason Knight, Josh Cullen, Alan Brown, a nice kind of triangle there with Dara O'Shea there. I mean, but again, uh, there's not much minutes between them in terms of that unit, that partnership there. So James Collins coming in, had to come in, I suppose, after his cameo. Um, Now, some might have said that was probably an aggressive step, but, you know, I have to give the guy a chance given that he came on made an impact against Serbia. I mean, as Phil said, hand was forced in terms of a few things. And I felt sorry for Travers as well, guys. Hasn't played really in anger for AFC Bournemouth. Went to Swindon Town, tried to get first-team football, then was summons back. Very hard for a guy to kind of come into the international scene not having first-team football. Hope he comes back. But again, Bazuna was the quality choice. Did Kenny really learn anything here? He still was kind of galvanised in terms of Doherty and Stevens. This, these were his two key players here. And from an attacking sense, guys, we, we were let down on the wingbacks for these two games, in my personal opinion. There wasn't enough coming from these guys coming forward. Mark, can I ask you just, you, you mentioned there the, the midfield partnership that was set up of Colin Brown and Knight. Now, I said that Brown was supporting the front two strikers, and Jason Knight was sitting as the defensive midfield partner to Josh Cullen. But should Knight have played forward? I mean, Knight, excuse me, that was his fourth cap at international level. He's playing against an experienced midfield and he's expected to act as the, the shield for his own defence and play the ball forward to the front three. Like Adam Brown, I think, was much more familiar with that role and he might not have a lot more caps than Jason Knight does, but you know he was coming off a high of scoring 
in the previous international league, he was earning his 13th cap for his country. So that experience level would stand to him playing in midfield in an international. And, you know, with now he's playing in the hole behind the front two. That takes the pressure off him, to, of the defensive responsibilities off him. And I think he could, you know, he could thrive in, in that role. But yeah, as we reached half time and as, you know, the second half kicked off, I just thought, like, we don't look like scoring. You know, there's not a lot on the pitch in terms of creativity. So when the substitutions uh, were made, uh, I wasn't really sure what to expect from them. Like, the Robbie Brady came on at halftime. That was a forced substitution because Matt Doherty had uh, injured his hamstring. James McLean came on with half an hour to go. And, you know, you got from James McLean what you'd expect to get from James McLean. You know, he's he's 100% committed, plays right at the at the... The limit of his abilities but he might not have been the player that was needed uh, in this game we needed someone who could dribble past players who could find space who could cross and we said when we discussed the the squad was announced that Aidan McGeady was the kind of player that you know we did need against a team that was going to frustrate us a team that was going to deny us the op- opportunities to create chances and then I don't want to say it was against the run of play, but it was still a shock. Uh, Luxembourg took the lead through Gerson Rodriguez, their striker who's based with Dinamo Kiev and was the only player of the two starting 11s to have Champions League experience this season. You know, if we could compare it to maybe club football, this was the equivalent of someone like Swindon being drawn away to, you know, this season, maybe Newcastle or Brighton in the Cup and going there against their high-profile opposition with players that are better than theirs, but frustrating them, letting them in their opportunities and taking the chances that they get. And that's what happened. They had precious few chances, but they scored one of them and we didn't. I thought at the end of the game, you know, one of the, the damning stats was that we only had three shots on target against Luxembourg at home. I mean, <clears throat> this isn't a team that keep that many clean sheets. They've two clean sheets in their previous 20 games. Their last clean sheet away from home was against San Marino, and that was in 2018. I mentioned that Luxembourg are not the men as of old, and they have improved. They've beaten Montenegro and Azerbaijan away from home in September and October, but their last away win in a qualifier was against Switzerland, who were actually ranked 15th at the time, but this was in September 2009, 11 and a half years ago. I've said before that the 5-2 loss in Cyprus will always be the worst result of my lifetime in Irish football, but this is the worst home result in my lifetime. So, Phil, after the goal went in, after the result, did you think that it was time for Stephen Kenny to admit that international football is beyond his abilities? No, absolutely not. I mean, you know, with everything that's gone on, you have to give the guy a chance. You know, it was any normal set of circumstances that he took over and he lost. He had no win in 11 or 10 or whatever it was. Then possibly you'd be wondering, hmm, you know, you've had 11 games to gel a squad and we're clearly not seeing much. It's not bearing any fruit. Then obviously it would, but... Uh, because of everything that's gone on and the amount of players we've used, um, no, I wouldn't. And just going back to your 
your analogy. Were we Swindon or were they Swindon? <laughs> because, like, let's be brutally honest, right? Serbia rested half their team against us because they had Portugal a few nights after. And it was a bit like, oh, sure, look, if we need to bring them on to beat them, we'll bring them on. And that's exactly what they did. And we've come up against Luxembourg, who, after five minutes, you could see, right, these lads know exactly what they are meant to be doing. Limited or not, they know exactly what they're meant to be doing. They had us figured out after 10 minutes. They had us figured out. Let Kieran Clark have the football. If he wants to give it to Stephen, uh, to Stevens, let him give it to Stevens, and they'll go nowhere. And that's what we did for a half of football. We gave it to Stevens. We gave it to Clark. They gave it away. We went nowhere. We did nothing. They had us figured out. All they had to do was stay compact and try and play a few passes around in their own half, which they did. So Doherty goes off. So you're thinking, right, we're playing this formation because we want Doherty attacking and we want Coleman in the team. Doherty goes off. Stevens is playing useless. Clark keeps giving the ball away. We can all see it. It's not like it's like it's, it's there in front of us. You need to change the system. We come out in the second half. We don't change the system. The system stays the same. So you've got Alan Brown, who who did well in his position up supporting the striker against Serbia. Like got his goal from it, basically, outside the box. Ball across, ran in, scored. He then moves to the right-hand side, where he has played for Preston. And he, like, what's the point of doing that? So basically, we showed our cards and we didn't do anything to to counteract what they were doing. And then they scored. They took their chance. They They scored from, like... You could say nothing, but they had a shot and they took it and they scored. It's something we can't do. We don't have players to do it. Like, and I saw, and I'm absolutely robbing this from another podcast, but because uh, I didn't see the interview with James Collins, but James Collins said, I don't know, is it in whatever interview was? He goes, we're embarrassed. And he plays for Luton Town. The guy for Luxembourg who scored plays for Dynamo Kiev. James Collins shouldn't be embarrassed. The best player on the pitch probably scored the winning goal that night. So, it was expected. It maybe not the loss, but like after a half an hour, like no, nobody thought we were going to win. And coming back to your original question, because I've gone on a bit of a tangent, I don't want to see Stephen Kenny gone because there's no point in getting rid of him now. We give him to the end of the campaign and we see if we can improve. But if he doesn't improve his in-game management, which we've flagged up here constantly in the last few podcasts, Mark especially then we're dust because we'll be found out by teams so easy. His substitutions bar bringing Collins and Long on against Serbia have generally been a disaster. I've mentioned before as well that he seems to have an idea in his head of how he wants the team to play. And I think that's why he stuck with the 4-3-3 formation throughout all the games last year and couldn't understand why the formation wasn't working with the players that he had at his disposal and he couldn't adapt to it. But now he's trying a new formation and it's still not working and he's still not able to adapt to improve it or to fix what, what's not working uh, in a game. Like you, There's only so much planning you can do before a football match. Like Before Serbia announced their team, he might have assumed that Mitrovic, Mitrovic was going to start. And when he didn't, you know, he couldn't adapt to it. When Tadic was, you know, who was clearly the best player on the pitch, you know, seemed to have more time on the ball than anyone else. And good players will do that. Uh, a bad player doesn't have enough time on the ball, and a good player just makes his own time. But he didn't. He wasn't able to adapt to the way Tadic was playing, and he had, you know, he assisted 
all three of Serbia's goals. Players can only do so much on the pitch. And when something isn't working, they will turn to the coach for advice. And it doesn't look like at any point he stopped and thought, maybe we should man-mark the player who's creating all of these chances. Like he couldn't, he maybe he couldn't plan for having to take Matt Darty off injured at halftime, but he possibly should have gone off at least 10 minutes before the halftime whistle went anyway, because he was clearly struggling. The excuse of Alan Brown plays in that position for Preston doesn't wash me at all. Yeah. He, I mean, he does play in that position for Preston. Oh, I, I but totally he also- agree with you. Yeah. I, I, I totally, sorry. I totally agree with what you're saying. Like I, I'm not saying it was the right call to put him there. I thought it was the wrong call. Alan Brown trains with Preston every day and he trains with those other players with him playing in a right wing back position. Like none of the other players that were on the pitch have ever played with him in that position before. So they didn't know how to react to him playing there. They didn't like they could react to how Matt Darty would play there. And they knew like when Darty's in possession, these players suddenly become uh, need to make themselves available for passes. They didn't know what to do with Alan Brown there. You know, he brought on Robbie Brady, which you think would be a positive uh, playing, you know, someone with his creativity behind the front too. But again, he was just being stifled by the two banks of four that Luxembourg were playing with a, a floating midfielder uh, in in between. And by the time Troy Parrish and Jason Malumbi came on with two minutes to go, you didn't think that they're going to make a they're not going to make a difference in a game. Nobody comes on with two minutes to go. When you're one nil down and turns things around, if they were going to come on, they should have been on at least ten minutes earlier. I, I guess my father once said while watching a game of football, he's not going to break a sweat in the time that's left. Mark, I was numb at full time. How did you feel? Look, to be honest, with seventy minutes on the clock, I had a bad, bad feeling about it. The weather had turned as well in Dublin as. Um, Got a bit wet, got a bit windy, but you could see Luxembourg grew and grew and grew into the game. And after about 75 minutes, they start pushing a little bit, Joe, to be honest. So for me, Gertzen Rodriguez, best player in the park, we've forgotten to say about his outstanding lob that nearly caught Gavin Bazuno out in the first half. Could have been an absolute disaster uh, before James Collins' glorious chance. That, in fairness, let's put a positive spin. That goal goes in. Maybe we kind of um, get a bit, a bit of momentum, a bit of confidence. But like, in fairness to Luxembourg, had their game plan really set well. thought the two Till brothers in midfield were really good, very compact, and really did stifle Alan Brown an awful lot. But Gerson Rodriguez gets one opportunity, absolutely sticks it. I mean, Bazuno, no chance. Um, yeah, and the substitutions after 88 minutes, that's a desperation move. That's like, you know, save our season. So effectively there. Um you know, and we know that Stephen Kenny has a great affinity to Troy Parrott, but you're asking a young lad to basically save, save potentially a World Cup qualification campaign last two minutes? Come on now. You know, what's the backroom staff doing with Stephen Kenny in the background here? What's the what's the logic? What's the decision-making process going on in on the sideline here? Because to me, it looks as if Stephen Kenny's on his own here. Anytime we pan into the TV camera, Stephen Kenny's on his own. I would like to be seeing someone like Keith Andrews. Now we have Anthony Barry there in the background. There has to be a little bit more than just literally guys literally sitting 
in the dugout, letting Stephen Kenny being the focal point here. I think managerial-wise, the in-game kind of management has to be better from the backroom staff to provide that information to Kenny. Or does Kenny, is he, is he so resolute? We just don't know. But uh, I just thought, literally, that in-game management, particularly second half, there was no rhyme or reason to some of those changes. You know, I mentioned the 5-2 game against Cyprus, and and the game immediately that followed that was a 1-1 draw against the Czech Republic. And it granted Staunton a stay of execution, and his his time in charge went on for another year until a, a 1-1 draw against Cyprus again brought it to an end. The reaction to the Luxembourg loss was that that Kenny should be given the game against Qatar to possibly show that it was a, a blip and that although it kind of feels like every game seems to be showing you know that it's a blip but maybe with the pressure of a qualifier taken away maybe I, I know it's an empty stadium but it was away from home you know what could they do to to improve it to improve the performance against Luxembourg and I thought it was interesting that the starting 11 that he picked against Qatar had 445 caps between them. That's more than the Serbia and Luxembourg starting 11 combined. And uh, also had 44 goals between them. Like the majority carried by Shane Long, uh, James McLean and Robbie Brady. But this was, these are players who have scored international level and when you've scored international level, you know how to score at international level. The Serbia starting 11 had six goals in it, and the Luxembourg starting 11 had nine goals in it. The performance against Qatar, especially in the first half, was a world apart from what we saw against Serbia and Luxembourg. This was, you know, the team were, maybe they were hurt by the result, by the reaction, but they seemed to be playing a different brand of football. It was... Again, a three-four-three formation, but they seem to be happier to get the ball forward. They seem to have more space against the Qatari back three than we did against the back four of Luxembourg. And the goal came from a well-worked corner kick routine very early in the game, and you kind of started. To, I did think that this will settle the nerves early. We could go on to get a win, and then the ref awarded, but but rescinded his decision to give a penalty against Gavin Bazunu only a few minutes later. Gavin Bazunu is a 19-year-old goalkeeper making playing his second international. He's the youngest player ever to play uh, in goals for Ireland. Between the two games, I thought he played very well for someone his age, and I think he's got a lot of promise in him. But I think that if all our goalkeepers are available to us, he might be better served going and playing with the under-21s instead of being on the bench while Darren Randolph or Cuevin Kelleher or maybe Sean McDermott once the Norwegian league restarts are available. Mark, what did you think of the performance of the goalkeeper across the two games? I thought he was outstanding, Joe. Absolutely outstanding. I think he's the positive from these international. We've, we've, I'd, you've been waxing lyrically about him. Same with you, Phil. Last year, we've heard great reports about him on his loan spell in Rochdale. Very brave decision for a young lad to go to League One. The real rough and tumble of League One, where physicality is everything, have to be dominant in your box. You can see the confidence in this young lad. 
coming out for crosses, making himself available. What I thought was very impressive from Bizzuno, particularly in that Luxembourg game, is because no crowd, you could hear him barking instructions. You know, literally to his battery, constantly, literally asking for a ball, asking him to basically kind of focus, you know, change position. I thought it was very impressive. Now, we may have a bit of a competition in our hands when Randolph comes back, Keller comes back, but I think in fairness to Bizzuno, he's done everything he possibly can. Now, the Qatar game, he did get away with one, particularly after seven minutes when we scored. You know, another referee could have very much been trigger-happy, given the red card, making a name for himself. But fortunately, the referee from Hungary calmed down, rescinded the decision. And then there was another instant where he came out, but very good skill set, and Shane Duffy actually applauded him for it. This guy has massive confidence. So it is going to be a bit of an interesting watch with Stephen Kenny, what he does with Bizzuno now, because he's clearly now ahead of Travers, unfortunately, after Travers, the Belgrade game. And then you compare Bazunu's two games between Luxembourg and Qatar, has actually looked quite good on the ball as well. And this is, if Stephen Kenny is to be believed with his post-game interview, this is the way he wants to play. He wants his goalkeepers to play out from the back. So um, it will be interesting. Keller comes back into the frame. We have an, an abundance of keepers. And we haven't even mentioned Kieran O'Hara here as well, who I rate very highly as well, formerly Manchester United. Granted, he's not getting his game with Burton at the moment. We've seemed to have bundles of riches of goalkeeper all of a sudden. So, no, outstanding. Maybe under-21s maybe better serve if he's not going to sit on the bench, but he's got a taste of international football. And obviously, Pep Guardiola has definitely seen the progress in the player in these two games. I did think Kieran O'Hara was actually unlucky not to see a minute of football across the three games. Uh, when Bazunu started against Qatar, I thought that O'Hara <laughs> might get the second half, but unfortunately, you know, didn't. Uh, it's not the way it worked out. Phil, we went 1-0 up against Serbia and we went 1-0 up against Qatar. But the Serbia game was the first time that that a team under Stephen Kenny led in a, in a senior international and we led for 22 minutes. And against Qatar, we managed to extend that and we led for 43 minutes before the Qataris equalised early in the second half. Irish teams have given up leads in in the past. It's it's not a new thing. Um, like, what do you think that the manager needs to do to impress upon his players not to concede or to you know to protect the lead? Is it that against a team like Qatar, where he's expected to win, that he suddenly decided he's just going to go all out, or? You know, is there a balance between going for a two or three nil win and then conceding, or you know, just holding on to uh, holding on to a one nil lead? Yeah, it's. Um, I made the point on Twitter after the the Luxembourg game that we seem to be giving away an awful lot of goals. It's just been a team, and you brought it up in the last podcast. We are giving away a lot of goals, and it was put back to me that if we're going to play the way we're going to play, we're going to concede from chances like we're conceding against, and like. It's fine saying that, but we don't have enough goals in our team to do that. Like, we don't have two goals a game in our team. So he's going to have to adapt somehow. Like, if we're going to be giving up chances like we did, like we saw the Qatari goal, it's a shot from outside the box again. You know, if we're going to give up chances like that, we need to be sure that we can score two to three goals a game. And we don't have the players. I tried not to say that tonight, but we don't have the players who are going to score that many goals at the moment for us. Maybe we will down the line. Maybe if Connolly and Parrot get going, and Ida comes back, maybe we can, we can confidently say, well, look, if we if we concede one, we're going to come back and we're going to hit you for two. But at the moment, we know, and the team knows, 
that if we concede, it's the, our chances of winning are nearly cut to zero because the mentality is brittle and they know themselves that they're not scoring a lot of goals. So there has to be some sort of give when it comes to how you prepare and, and, and set out for games like against the likes of Luxembourg and Qatar. Because really, we shouldn't be giving up that chance against Qatar. It's you know, it's a shot from outside the box, but we didn't have enough cover there to to stop the ball getting in there in the first place. So that's one of the huge things Kenny needs to sort out. Like because if he doesn't sort that out, and we went a goal down to Qatar after five minutes, would we have come back? It's hard to know. I wouldn't have backed us to win the game anyway. Let's put it that way. So it's something he really needs to sort out. And just going back to the the lineup for the Qatari game and the the way we approached the game from the first couple of minutes. If anyone was wondering what it was like, what would it what would it be like now with someone like Mick McCarthy in charge? Well, you saw it against Qatar because it was the old hats and it was up the flank, ball in over the top to Shane Long, get it wide, score from a corner, and we didn't win either. You know, you said like that that's you know, it was reverting back to the to Mick McCarthy's style, but in a I way, think, I think, yeah, no, I think it was, and I think we did play a lot more long passes than we had done in the in the two games against Serbia and Luxembourg, and maybe looked the way Qatar were lined up, we were able to do that. But in like we've had eleven games under Stephen Kenny now, and we scored four goals and we conceded twelve, and in the previous eleven games before the former Dundalk and under-21 manager took over. We'd scored 13 goals and conceded seven. The FAI have come out and backed their manager um, and said that there's even talk uh, of his contract being extended at the end of the year. But the old saying in football is that you have to properly get behind someone before you can stab them in the back. Like, Joe, just to, to go back on that, if you want to play the way Stephen Kenny wants this Irish team to play, you have to be either one or two things. You have to be absolute misers at the back, or you have to have someone up front who can score you a couple of goals in a game. And at the moment, we are neither. And it doesn't look like we have someone of like top a top-level striker coming through that's going to do that for us. So we have to become misers at the back. So we don't give up these chances and we don't concede. So if we do score from a nice fluid flowing move then we can hold on to it but at the moment under Kenny we're conceding if he doesn't sort that out then that'll be the end of him unfortunately and while he might be doing the right things in the opposition half of the pitch it's basically it's what happens in front of your goal that that matters more because that's where that's what leads to to bad results so he really needs to sort that out so we'll be taking a leaf out of George Graham's book from when he was in charge at, at Arsenal. That's a draw. A, a win is better than a draw, and a draw is better than a loss. And if you can't, if you can't win, you better draw. And you know, I agree that look, we can't score at the moment. Four goals in eleven games is a horrific uh, record, but twelve goals conceded in eleven games is a lot worse. And I think he needs to work on the defence. He needs to work out why we're conceding and what he can do to limit the chances for the opposition to score against us. Like Mark, like we're both from Limerick and we're both Munster fans and Stephen Kenny's going to be kept on to the end of the year by the FAI. I think they are going to limit his contract, but I think that his brief 
might change. And I think that he might be given a similar role to the coaches that took over Munster Rugby after Declan Kidney uh, took over the, the Irish side in that they had to move on the European Cup winning team, the players of the European Cup winning team of 2008 to make it ready for Anthony Foley to take over. And there was a lot of resistance to it uh, among Munster fans that they felt that Anthony Foley was ready for it. But in the long term, it proved to be the right decision to make. And I think that that's Stephen Kenny, unfortunately, is going to be given the same role that Tony McGahan and Rob Penny had. Instead of managing a team of young internationals that he wants to work with, he's actually going to have to bring them through and give them experience, move out, move on the older members of the squad. And when the new manager comes in, Stephen Kenny is going to be presenting him with this, uh, you know, a team with Bazunu, with maybe Nathan Collins, with Jason Knight, with Troy Parrott, Adam Ida, and, you know, ready for international football. Yeah, completely agree. I think in fairness to Stephen or Stephen Kenny, like I got criticised on Twitter immediately after Luxembourg game. You have to give the guy time. I was getting keywords deluded, lunatic. But I think who would actually take this job on right now? That 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 is the the, the key question right now. If FEI had the money, I I think an awful lot of managers would stay well away from it at the moment. So I think Stephen has. He said, "I don't know who last night." He's literally said, I, "I'm." completely committed i'm clear on what i need to do and i think this trip this summer camp is going to probably be the making or breaking of him to be perfectly honest because let's face it guys he's not had a whole lot of time with these players with covid19 restrictions all that he hasn't had the time on the training ground to really implement an awful lot of these ethos and philosophy you heard from a few of the players that they were cramming in terms of the formation that they were going to play against serbia that's all well and good, but you need to get out on a trading ground and literally execute. So I think for Stephen, he doesn't really know his first 11 yet. And we're 11 games in, which I think is saying an awful lot in terms of the personnel that he's had to rotate. But come the summer, when he plays the likes of Andorra, I think they play Hungary as well, do they? Uh, in summer friendlies. But this training camp has to really mark a departure here. An awful lot of long-serving Republic of Ireland players need to be kind of gradually given kind of, you know, thanks for your service, but literally focusing in on the guys he's been working with in the under-21s and really basing it off the likes of the Seamus Coleman's. No, I have criticised in terms of Matt Doherty and the Stevens, but even guys like that, you know, have your leadership group, but also complement that with the guys that are coming through. Uh, Michael Afalabi, I think one could be a guy that could emerge here on that summer. Uh, summer camp as well so look I think for Stephen he has to set expectations here that it is unlikely given the fixture list in September where we have Portugal Serbia we're not getting like I mean qualification is pretty forlorn at the moment he needs to really kind of focus in and really concentrate on what players going forward um, can basically represent and execute the side of play because I feel some of the players within the squad that he selected just aren't really up to that international level standard, unfortunately. And it's now a case of rebuild. And also, looking probably organisationally-wise at grassroots, how we produce those next uh, generation of international players coming through in the next 5, 10, 15 years. Do you think that he would be better served as a director of football-type role for the, the National Association? I think so. 
I think that inevitably is tailor-made for a Stephen Kenny. Just, I heard Owen Hans' comments during the week, and to be honest, you know, it's it's harsh for Stephen Kenny at the moment, but it's just given the personnel. But again, Stephen has that football ethos that we're all looking to crave, looking to kind of change that, but it doesn't happen overnight. And really the conveyor belt, like this is no accident. Like our performance underage wise has been pretty poor guys in the last 10, 15 years. You know, we've really overachieved as a senior squad. Now we're kind of getting the reality check where, you know, results are not going our way now because personnel wise, we're just not good enough. And now it's a case of having to kind of evaluate, see where we improve in terms of our underage grassroots and try to work with players that are in the squad that have the potential, like the Adamidas that ha- hadn't featured in these three games. These guys potentially are going to be world-class, you know, if they continue to put in the hard work. So, yeah, I think for Seaman Kenny, that I think could be the long-term viewpoint. Spearheading some with the FAI, looking at the grassroots structures. I think we've mentioned 2014, there was this dawn of a new era in terms of coaching. That needs to be reassessed again, given you know, the issues that we're, we're seeing here. One thing that did occur to me across the three games is that there are brief flashes during the game where you can see the type of football that he wants the team to play. But I think he can only, he can't get across to the players how to play it. And it's, look, I'm not the first person to, to realise that, you know, you have less time to work with a, a set of players at international level than you do at... Uh, club level, like he's 11 games into his uh, international managerial career. When you think that in at club level, that's probably a little, it's around six weeks of game time. Um, but that's training with the same set of players four or five days a week. Whereas this is, if you know, he's only really been able to work with the players um, for a handful of days between, you know, since last. September, and then they go back to their clubs and play you know, a different brand of footballer. Their club manager wants them to play a different way. Some, yeah, something that I you don't really hear discussed or mentioned a lot is kind of footballing intelligence. Like Serbia figured this out after the first goal went in. Luxembourg, I don't know if they properly figured this out, but they had a plan, and once they. Had, they found a plan that worked. They stuck to it and, you know, eventually worked the, the goal from it. But we never seem to be able to do that. We don't seem to be able to realise how an opposition or how opposition is set up or how opposition players are going to react. And, you know, what should we do in each situation to get the, the greatest benefit out of it? I don't, I don't know if Stephen Kenny is the manager to implement that, but it would be nice to see that kind of intelligent play on the pitch from an Irish team. And, you know, even with all the great results that we've had against, against Italy, against Bosnia, against Germany, um, I don't know if I've ever, if I've ever seen that, to be honest. We've mentioned the summer training camp that's going to take place in Spain in June. Uh, we've two friendly organised against Andorra and Hungary. You would hope that there would be at least one win from those two games, if we assume that Stephen Kenny was going to want to work with maybe the younger members of the squad, um, and if we think that, say, he's going to tell to everyone who's maybe 31 and over, lads, enjoy your summer, we'll, I'll see you in September for the game against Portugal, and he'll, he'll work with that group of players between maybe 19 and 
you know, 27 or 28, do you think that, you know, uh, how many players do you think he's going to bring? And it's probably a bit early to to, to discuss the, the makeup of the squad, but, you know, from the players that missed out against Serbia, Luxembourg and Qatar, you know, you'd hope he might bring, say, Sean McDermott once the Norwegian league has restarted. You might take a look at... Connor Ronan, um, who's playing in Switzerland with Grasshopper at the moment. And, you know, there was a couple of players that I did actually like uh, how they played for the under-21s against Wales. Phil, what would you like to see worked on at this summer training camp? I think he'll bring the squad he had for the last few games. I think he'll bring any one of the senior players, regardless of their age, who are committed for the next couple of years, I think he'll bring. So that would include all your senior players that you've seen the last three games. I think because I don't think it's a case of let's bring out the young players and try and get them. I don't think he's bring, he won't bring out the young players just to coach the young players. He needs to coach this group as a group. He needs to coach this core of 15 or 16 that he's going to use as a group. Senior players included. That goes for Hendrick if he's still involved. That goes for Coleman, Duffy. That goes for all the senior heads. Brady as well. He needs to bring them out and he needs to spend two weeks and he needs to try and get his message across clearly. And it'll be the longest time he's had with any one group of players. And he needs to bring the group of players that he sees as his core 14 or 15 going forward. And he needs to work with them. I don't think there's any point leaving lads behind. I think it's the summer. I think it's only two, it's two weeks in Spain. It's two games. I think that, that is an absolute must because... Going back to your other point about wanting us to see, like, play intelligent football, like, like Stephen Kenny is an intelligent man. Like, do you do you think Stephen Kenny doesn't know exactly what he, like, w- when Stephen Kenny holds his talk before a game, like in his head he absolutely knows what he wants his players to do. I'd say he's gone over it a million times, but for whatever reason he either a can't communicate it properly so far, or b they're not intelligent enough, like. You've Nike, Cullen, Brown there. Three sound players, three solid players. Are they intelligent enough to run a game? Maybe, maybe not. So it's hard to know. So he needs to figure out where the communication breakdown is and if he needs to take a player out or bring a player in and assign them actual roles and 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 try and sort out that core 14-15. Because if he doesn't do that, Portugal will annihilate us. Like, there's no point bringing in like more, yeah, bring in a couple of players, but don't be bringing in players that you're not going to use for the next competitive fixtures. Like, don't bring in like 10 lads, like Lee O'Connor and all these lads from the under-21s, just to bring them to say, come on in, let's have a, you know, let's have two weeks. Work with your players that you have, that you're going to use. You have the time, you have them, you don't have clubs looking for them back, and use that time. And then we'll see when we rock up, to Portugal in the next game, we'll see his anything improve. We'll see it on the pitch, but he absolutely—it's—it's a—it's a crucial two weeks for him to try and and sort out a lot. I think as well, his backroom staff—they need yeah. two weeks as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we we talk about that communication breakdown. That communication breakdown from head coach to players. What are the backroom staff doing in the background? They're obviously you know there in the background, you know providing some tactics, but I think. Being on the training pitch, you know, I'm excited to see Anthony Barry and Dean Kiley get involved here. But uh, I think even for the guys, it's 
to give them that concerted time. Um, I would even bring the under-21 squad because literally we're looking for cohesion between under-21s to senior. What's her formation? What's her style of football? You know, that kind of consistency where we have the conveyor belt coming through. You see likes of Ajax, 4-3-3. It's a philosophy. Belgium went from 4-4-2 to 4-3-3 back in the 2000s. Literally all the way up from under 15. So we need to find an identity here. And I think for Stephen Kenny, we're seeing kind of little little pockets of it. But two weeks in Spain is probably not going to solve the problem either. I think it's a very much long-term thing. But even to kind of get players clued in and galvanized and also the backroom staff to fully kind of embrace what's going on has to be key here. What did you think of his reaction in the post-match interview with Tony O'Donoghue? I know... Tony Donahue has been a bit of a prickly interviewer in the past and he's antagonised Giovanni Trapattoni and Martin O'Neill. But this might have been the first time I've seen him do the same with Stephen Kenny. And Kenny's reaction to O'Donoghue's regress or that we didn't take the free kick routine out of the locker against Luxembourg or Serbia was dealt with in a very spiky manner I think is how, is how I described it a couple of things he said weren't true uh, he didn't win four leagues on the bounce with Dundalk uh, Cork City fans will be only too happy to tell you that there was a a, a win uh, for the Leesiders in the middle of it uh, he didn't uh, nearly win all his games with the under 21s he won 7 out of 12 so slightly better than half but it's probably the first time I've seen any bit of passion out of him yeah, he's he's not been great in interviews or when making statements like what was your reaction to to his reaction to the the line of questioning from from RTE yeah like he he's never come across as a great communicator and that's back to my other point about like if if he finds it if he finds it difficult to kind of get his message across and his word out and what he wants to say to Tony O'Donoghue, just one man with a microphone, like he may like maybe he he is struggling to do it with the Irish team. It was the first time I've seen any bit of fight from him. Uh, he just he's very passive in interviews as well. Like he, he doesn't get too excited. Reminds me a bit like Stan at the start. He just kind of I'm the gaffer, kind of that's it, kind of thing. But like, O'Donoghue put him under a good bit of pressure, and he came out swinging, and he had to come out swinging because he has to show some sort of fire, you know, like. He has to believe he got the job on merit. You know, that's why he's he's coming out with, I've won this, I've done this, I've done this. He's trying to remind people that he's not just some, like, coach from the middle of nowhere that has been given the Ireland job because no one else wanted it. He's been given the job on his merits. He's won league titles. He's, you know, he's, he's done X, Y, and Z. There's his portfolio. Go look at it if you want any proof. And I think that's what he was trying to get across, especially to... I suppose, a large cohort of Irish fans who would never have watched a Stephen Kenny game in their life at club level. So he's trying to win them over as well, as well as everyone else. So it was nice to see him come out at the end just to get a, a bit of fire. But as usual, Tony O'Donoghue knows how to push buttons, you know. He knows how to get a reaction out of someone. When you think that Stephen Kenny has run out of new records to set, he goes and lo- loses to the lowest-ranked side ever to beat Ireland at home. 98th ranked Luxembourg might show the way for the FAI to improve in future years, but right now we're just looking for the senior team to win a game, to hold on to a lead, and we don't know when that's going to come. We hope it comes against Andorra uh, or Hungary, 
in the summer. I look forward to discussing those games with Mark and with Phil, and we hope you'll join us for that when our next episode comes out. You can follow me on at Irish Abroad on Twitter. You can follow Mark at, at Hawkeye Psychic. And you can follow Phil at Philip Flanagan. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you soon.